Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join me in an overcast and empty capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Nikki Henderson, director of Seven Barrows, a yard with private gallops. Nikki, hello. Good afternoon, Matthew. Good afternoon. Thank you for coming on the program today. Uh, now, normally we get straight into uh, discussing the concept of leadership, but under the current circumstances, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you how the COVID-19 situation is affecting your business. Well, it is it is very difficult. It's affecting horse racing across the board um, in a, a very big way in that we are now, we have had no racing now for a month. Um, racing has not taken place. So we're in a situation where we train a, a, a quite a large number of horses, of which there are 14,000 in the country. Um, and racing has closed down. Um, not surprisingly, um, because it requires a large number of people to set up a race meeting. There has been certain meetings that we, we've tried for a bit and we hope we will resume quite shortly as we would say behind closed doors and I know this applies to a lot of sports like football in particular is trying as well to try and get their show back on the road Um, but like them this is a very very large industry that employs a huge amount of people Um, and therefore it is having the fact that the horses cannot race is is causing a, a huge disturbance and, a, and an, an enormous financial one um, in that the horses being animals um, you can't uh, you can't close them down. Of course. So the biz, the business has to continue as normal, fully staffed, and the horses and the horses' welfare being the most important thing as far as we're concerned. The horse's welfare, I might say, as well as my staff's welfare. Of course. Which is obviously equally important. Now, it was announced a couple of weeks ago that uh, the uh, royal meeting at Ascot would take place behind closed doors. Do you have any concern uh, for that uh, amount of congregation of staff and uh, animals uh, during this uh, crisis? Well, there won't be, I mean, as you say, behind closed doors means there will be no spectators. Mm-hmm. Um, it will mean the minimal people on the race course. I know the British Horse Racing Authority and the Jockey Club that are preparing for the resumption of racing as soon as it might be possible. It was put on hold until the first of uh, of, of May, but it, it with the, with the continuation of the lockdown, it obviously stays on hold and no racing. Now, they, I do know, have plans um, that have been put to the government. Racing cannot start without the government's sanction. Um, but they, they, they have a, 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 a comprehensive policy in place as to how you will race without any people involved. Mm-hmm. Now, people, the horses have to be looked after, yeah, but... As I say, I know they have plans as how this will be run by a very skeleton 
team that will all be held in the same place, i.e. in probability they will be within a hotel mm-hmm. um, on the premises, um, whereby they are the only people that will be allowed onto the race course. The horses will arrive daily, some of them maybe from overseas overnight. We don't know what the um, transport or the movement of horses is going to be like at the time. I mean, horses are moving around the country. They have to be able to be moved mm-hmm. around the country mm-hmm. as there isn't a lockdown on horses at the moment. But uh, we'll have to see. that it's Ascot is a long way away, and there's a lot of things can happen between now and then. It'll be very different. But the financial implications of losing Ascot are, 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 from racing's financial point of view, terrifying. Um, as is every day that goes by without it. And we, you know, all hope that we can resume as soon as it is safe to do so and as soon as the government sanction it. Now, have you seen any difficulties in uh, being able to obtain the products you need for the horses, such as uh, feed and such, during this time? No, we haven't. Um, And as you can imagine, the industry itself is just the horses. There are thousands of ancillary businesses that go Mm -hmm. alongside the horse racing itself. And the people, and as you rightly say, the feed companies and that, they have to be able to produce our feed. I mean, that is, we have a, a weekly deliver of a, an enormous amount that um, is, is it, it is there, and and and, and the supplies have not um, and, and will not either um, be affected. Um, there are certain things that certainly are affected um, in, in in certain businesses, and like I mean. The veterinary practice have, have, have sort of have, have had to cut back to doing. Um, they were really only doing emergency mm-hmm. services, where, where instead of the day-to-day ones. But that that has actually been relaxed um, to a point. Um, there's everything that the, the farriers have obviously got to continue working. The horses have to be done, and. There are absolutely thousands of different people involved, and particularly on the race courses themselves. Mm-hmm. And they are, um, you know, they, they are. The race courses are struggling, obviously, because they have no race meetings, but they have to continue to maintain the race course. Do you believe and that this is going to have a long-term effect on racing in general? I think we all fear that that the whole instance of of this virus is going to have a long-term effect because. I think it has to have an effect on the economy. Mm. Um, and I think it's going to have a long-term effect on the economy of racing um, because the, um, the the money that we are losing can only really, at the end of the day, come out of the top line of prize money. So mm. we are probably going to have to be prepared. I don't know that um, you know we might have to be looking at a reduction in, 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 the, in the top line of prize money, which is something we've been trying to boost over the years because it, it's not exactly over-enumerated. Um, so any, any, any losses in that sector will be, um, will be felt and right down the line. 
Well, before uh, we go, we should touch on the subject of leadership. Um, now, I always like to start the conversation off by asking a very simple question. What does the word leader mean to you? I, what does the word leader mean to you? Um, to me, it is. Uh, I think there's all sorts of forms of leadership. Um, as to me, it is somebody that is um, trying to. If, if you're the leader of a, as it a business or a, or a pack of, mm-hmm. of, of of people of any type. Um, the, the person that is probably going to instruct, um, and by example, I hope as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, they're all sorts, but in, in, in our sort of world, we have a large team. Somebody has to be, I think of any team, somebody has to be the leader. Of course. Um, and whether it's the headmaster, or the uh, or the trainer, in, in our case, um, somebody has got to be at the be prepared to take the responsibility, and I think that's important. Um, but in order to be in a position to take responsibility, you are the responsible person. Therefore, he's going to lead this particular ship. Now, did you have any role models when you first got into uh, the world of work who shaped you uh, in the way that you lead today? Well, I was never going to join the army, but I suppose a leader that you would think of would could easily be military. And I was fortunate enough to, to um, uh, Phil Marshall Montgomery was my godfather. Mm-hmm. And I think you could probably call him a leader. Of course. Um, and... I can't say that he gave me any advice in leadership because uh, he was, I don't say disappointed that I wasn't going to uh, take up a military career. He always asked me if I was going to, but I never wanted to. I wanted to work with horses. Um, but he certainly was a leader of some distinction, I would say. Absolutely. Um, and probably rather uh, he was leading um, a vast number of people. Mm. And that that I don't say I discussed it, but my father was his ADC, and they um, understood the responsibility and the actual fact of leadership from there was obviously vitally important um, as to how I lead my rather smaller world mm-hmm. um, is... Um, as I say, a number of people, and we work with horses. And as I think a lot of people, well, we'd rather say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Right. And that is the way I I, I look at it. I can lead anybody to somewhere. I'm not sure you make anybody do something, but Mm -hmm. you could lead them there. And that's the way I would probably like to do it, rather than you can't make people do everything you would like. And one thing I'd like is more time, but unfortunately, we have run out of it. Uh, Nikki, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, and I'd very much like to have you back on at some point in the future. Nikki, thank you. Thank you, Matthew. That was Nikki Henderson, director of Seven Barrows. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. 
We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me, realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, <laughs> one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved. 
and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, well, I do uh, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top is absolutely vital for a, a for a business a football team in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge when it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn song, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was, I was playing. And I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark, mm. 
I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I've been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger so I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think... Mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back out, mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. It, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but... Overall, they were great, hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever. 
which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want, you want, you've got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Islands, three or 400 people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour, mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic, and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but I, then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, a laugh that day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... It would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work 
for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood. Yeah, the answer is straightforward. Answer is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I... when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, 
Yes, the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. You know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. It, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.